Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. It's your podcast where you go through a portal and you see people with swords waiting for a train. All aboard the lightning train! And any, anyone under 20 will never get that reference. Settle down there, John, <laughs> alias. Anyways. I, yeah, I never got the reference anyway, so yeah. <laughs> Josie's got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I think you need to up that to like anybody under fifty. No, oh, hey, now I'm forty nine. No, anyway. hey, now it's hey. last episode showed in two thousand six. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. anyway. Most people. I, I want to get on the Galaxy Express six six six. Yeah. Oh, that'd be another one. Focus. <laughs> focus. All right, people. Us focus. Yeah. Tonight. <laughs> I'm wrapping up my mini-series of adding Fringe-worthy to D&D settings with, well, I've been waiting to do this one for a long time, Eberron. And there was much rejoicing. Good Gazootite. Oh, no, I have been. I've been waiting to do this one for a long time. Eberron is the most recent of Dungeons & Dragons settings. It was the winner of the 2003 Wizards of the Coast setting search. It It was was a fix. What? It was a fix. Well, it well, uh, actually, Jerry Gentry and I submitted an entry to it. So, I mean, we even tried to get into it. Yeah, we, first round, done. We were out. Keith Baker created it back in 2002. Uh, he was formerly a computer game designer and then got into role-playing game design and now has made history. I actually got to meet Keith Baker at a PenguinCon and gamed with him. He ran a Eberron 4th Edition game. Me, my daughter, and one of my former show co-hosts, uh, Dan Napier, DJ, got to game with him. And it was it's a wonderful world. And so early on when I started putting D&D settings into the Big Blue Binder, Eberron was one of the first ones I looked and I just had to find a world that worked for me. Again, these are thought experiments, folks. Your mileage may vary. This is just what suits me and my meta campaign. Now, Eberron is... Yeah, a meta campaign that's getting more confusing by the day. I need to start typing out brochures and everything. Eberron... Brochures? (laughs) (laughs) Need books the size of the binder, yeah. Eberron is a setting that I would best describe as arcane punk. It's of the steampunk genre, but it's all magical devices that equate the world, I would say, to the late teens, early 20s on Earth. And so you're going to have, yes, people on farms, people in villages... But the big cities have technomagic equivalents of blimps and cars and airships and seagoing vessels and telegraphs. And just Keith Baker really made this setting to be unlike any other setting that had been published by TSR Wizards of the Coast. And so when I looked it over and started going through the binder going, where would it fit? I put it on negative 66 prime, which is... Uh, Dragon's Earth. Let me b- read the blurb real quick. They range in size from small to gigantic. They range in intelligence from beasts to genius. They are dragons, the classic forms that Earth Prime remembers from children's books. Here they are real and live among the medieval technology with humans. It is rumored that dragons also keep humans as pets and raise them as a hobby. Everyone here seems reasonably happy and content with the technology and society. Society. The dragons have legends of the furry ring builders that befriended them hundreds of years before. That was like clue by four over the head. I said Eberron would fit there perfectly. Because the dragons play into this setting so much. The dragons are part of Eberron's creation myth. You had the three dragons. Sybaris, the dragon above. Eberron, which is what the planet is considered and Kyber, the dragon below, which in other D&D settings would be the Underdark. Um, so I did plot out these portals, as I've done with the other three settings, Greyhawk, Dragonlance, and Forgotten Realms. And so, yeah, it, it there are, on Eberron, there are five major continents. And I actually have, uh, we are using both the Eberron Wiki, eberron.wikia.com, and a Google site for Eberron Pathfinder. Somebody converted everything from 3.5 to Pathfinder, 
and put it up on a wiki site of his own. So let me get... Yeah, I'm looking at some of the pictures of the setting. I decided, because one of the things we're probably talking about is the city of Sharn. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at some of the images and going, yeah, that's Metropolis with magic. Oh, it is. Oh, no, Sharn. Eberron (laughs) is a world infused with magic. It gets into various sites that they're called manifest zones. Uh, Eberron, besides the astral, ethereal, and shadow plane, has 13 different other planes that... The Eberron cosmology is kind of like an orary, which if you've seen, like, it's like a mobile where you can see different planets and their orbits. That's kind of how Eberron is. It's called an orary cosmology. They talk about it in the 3.5 book manual of the planes. And so, these manifest zones, when Eberron and a certain plane are coterminous with each other... Sharn has a manifest zone that makes flying and levitation spells much stronger. Hence, you have these castle towers that float in midair. And they'll float for millennia because the planes move... Some planes move very slowly, others move quickly, and one of them has been moved far away. But that was due to a previous invasion centuries before. As I said, there are five continents. There is Argonesson, Aranal, Corvair, Riedra, and Zendrick. The these five continents have each their own flavor, their own Argonesson is a continent ruled by dragons. Now, because dragons are so intrinsic to Eberron's very creation myth, the humans that live on this island rever the dragons as gods. They, they are just flat out, dragons created this world, we serve them, we are, we are their... And that was another reason why it fit into Rich's blurb that he wrote for... And Aaron, okay, the fi- Argonesson, dragon's home, thousands of dragons live on this island. Aranal, Aranal is an island relatively, it's about the size of Australia... Elves live there, and they sort of have an ancestor worship where the ghosts of their ancestors help rule the island in something known as the Undying Court. You have Corvair, which is where probably 80% of the stuff that goes on in Eberron is based on Corvair. Sort of Europe-esque in flavor, and it recently, as far as the setting goes at 3.5, just got over a massive war. We will talk about that later. There is Sarlona. Sarlona is where humans came from, and then they came over to Corvair centuries ago. Sarlona is high in psionic activity, and there's a particular nation there that they're using psionics in a very shady way, and we'll get to that later. And then there's Zendrik. Zendrik was run by giants. Now, these giants had a very advanced technomagic society, helped with draconic magic. The giants had a war 20,000 years ago, and they basically got blown back to barbarism, so they're all the giants that we all know now. They might have some vestiges of technology, but these giant, the civilizations are, it's a, it's a shell of its former self. And Zendrik is currently the continent where, ooh, let's go there and explore. If Eberron has that Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe, so you go to Zendrik and you can go to the jungles there, or the mountains, or the desert, or the ice caps near the South Pole, and just find all sorts of artifacts and make yourself very wealthy, or end up dying in the process. Because there are a lot of things on this continent. As I said, we'll break down the continents as I go through where I put the portals, because I placed, it's a prime, so eight portals, two on each of the continents except Aranol. I just wasn't feeling Aranol as a place to drop these portals. So we have the first one, which is the Breeding Highlands. As I said, this is a negative 66 prime. The Breeding Highlands. Now, I put that in the Great Airy in Argonesson in the south-central district known as the Thousand. An artificial mountain raised by draconic magic. Stone giants and iron golems abound, guarding the mountainous meeting place of the Conclave. The Conclave is a draconic council that studies and tries to figure out something known as the Draconic Prophecy. You'll see a rune all of a sudden flash on the side of a mountain, and dragons just go nuts. It's like, oh, it's part of the prophecy! And they're trying to divine the future of Eberron. As I said, Eberron is a world deeply suffused with magic to where it's even gotten into the genetics of the seven major races. You know, humans, dwarves, elves, gnomes, half-elves, halflings, and half-orcs. So would you say say this is a high fantasy setting then? Oh, very much so, yes. Okay. 
And we'll talk about how much artificing and magic, that, that's what I had you cover, John. We'll get into that a little later. So yeah, if you go through the first portal, you're going to be meeting up with stone giants and iron golems specifically designed to guard this meeting hall because non-dragons aren't here. That if you are a non-dragon and you are meeting the Conclave, it's most likely of planet-shattering importance. As in, you have a new link to the prophecy that the Conclave must divine now. That's why. And as I said, Iron Golems and Stone Giants, not exactly easy things for an IDET team to go up against. So, so So the warp is actually in the hall? Well, no, I put it nearby. I mean, I'm, I'm, okay. not, I'm not that mean of a game master. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, um, uh, so unlike unlike the portal in on the Zeal Home World, which is right in the middle of the major temple, uh, this is like a, what often a ante room or a side side place, or no, it's outside. It just you see ah. this massive mountain, and it's a mountain that had to have been artificially constructed because any geologist would look and go, no, that's not. A natural mountain. It's not. It, it's store bought, not homemade, and it's because draconic magic, draconic magic on this world, because they are the masters of. It's pretty much epic level stuff. So you're going to be having, you know, twentieth level spell casting dragons, you know, parting time and space and using it as, you know, building block. Uh, the second one, which is River Valley, outside Mirkesh on the Mir River in Adar, in Riedra. Now Riedra is the major nation in Sarlona which is a continent to the west of Corvair. It's on the shore of the Mir River. Mirkish is a small village with humans and Kalashtar. No magical dimensional travel is allowed in Adar. There's a barrier set up. But since Fringe Portal is what I call BioSciTech, excuse me. Special. It It gets by that barrier. It's magical dimensional travel is barred. So basically it's a massive dimensional anchor spell that's put over this entire nation. But that's because the Kalashtar, a race native to Adar, the Reedrons don't like. Now, with... Oh, and, and folks, Bruce and John have seen the amount of uh, Eberron books that I had laid out on my gaming table for tonight. I have all the hardcovers except like the two or three modules. Needless to say, I'm a fan of the setting. Now, the Kalashtar are creatures of dream. They're humans with dream creatures bonded with them, and the Reedrons don't like that because they're doing hinky stuff with dreams to control their populace. As I said, Sarlona is a... I mean, there's magic there, but they prefer psionics. So if you have, like, the expanded Psy Handbook, or if you go to the... If you just look up Eberron Pathfinder, if you use uh, Ultimate Psionics by Dreamscard Press, yeah, the Reedrons are just the masters of Psy. Okay, so would you say you could probably have a... Um... Inception type adventure here? Oh, oh yes, very much so. Uh, <laughs> dream travel and dream messages. No, the Reedrons, they sit there and mess with their populace in dreams. I mean, nothing overt, but it's that quiet, like, yes, you will work for the good the, the good of the Reedron people. Yes. So they're not like incubus, incubus. As far as... Controlling, controlling people, people through their dreams? dreams? Well, they are, but I mean, it's not ravaging and ripping them apart. It's just very quiet. Um, what's the word I'm like? Post-hypnotic suggestion type stuff. Okay. But they do lo- that, and it's they have these massive monoliths all over Riedra, and these things are like, you know, nine, ten stories high, and there are psi crystals inside, and it just amplifies dream powers to when the populace is sleeping. They're getting more um, indoctrination. That's the word I'm looking for. Is it yeah, also useful? useful? Do they pass yeah, on skills, skills like, like sleep, sleep learning? learning? They could. I would imagine that'd be something that you could probably throw in as a as a game master. Yeah. They do sort of trade, you know, ship things around. Yeah. Gl- uh, let's see. Let me give a real quick. Well, let so, me give you an example of what I'm thinking of. It is that so here you have a group of people and the they decide that they're going to go to war with another continent. And so all of a sudden these people start developing martial skills because they're going to need them soon. And, and they slowly start exercising more and building themselves up and start practicing with sticks and the swords and stuff. And then, and then afterwards, okay, you don't want a, a nation full of soldiers running around. They get into trouble when they do that. Then all of a sudden they start liking, they start taking those, those hammers and they start banging out, you know, 
blacksmithing and and uh, they start taking you know those uh, big malls and they start whacking on pieces of leather and start making uh, start doing leather working and things like that. So I, I can see how they could slowly you know, over a period of months and possibly even years, just completely transform the goals and um, and the culture of their people. Yeah, and hardened criminals wake up one day and learn how to knit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rehabilitation. Oh, no, I can see plenty of... It's I mean, a doily, John. Boy, yeah, that, that would be tatting. Um, I could see that, and you two have brought up fantastic points, and I never thought of it because I've actually done an Eberron campaign where the reagents were the folk, they were the big bad, uh, my space chase campaign. And, oh no, I could see that dreamer rehabilitation, that would be right up their alley because the people that are, well, okay, we'll say this, the, the beings that run reagent are not people, they are the quarry, they are basically creatures of dream and they are not nice beings. So I could see them sit there and warping an entire village. This village does nothing but create swords. That village does nothing but make armor. You know, they could do that. And of course, if you look through D20, you can find plenty of rules to change people's mental outlooks and even skill sets yeah, to as, your needs, yes. And as a GM, you can kind of work out what the average saving throw would be to... For, you know, okay, what percentage population would resist? You know, you can kind of work that well, out statistically. Well, see, John, that's the thing about the Kalashtar. They are, like, good quarry bonding with humans. That's why the quarry want the Kalashtar dead, because the Kalashtar are totally immune to any type of reagent dream. I mean, they are a persecuted race. They come to Corbear to get away from all the stuff going on in Sarlona. So if you're playing a Kalashtar in an Eberron setting and you're in Corvair, it's because you don't want to deal with the crap going on in Reager. They're trying to kill you there. I mean, Corvair isn't much better, but at least, you know, if you if you die, it's not because you're a Kalashtar. It's because you've basically, you know, honked somebody off. Okay, um, Portal 3, Country Town. Wolf's Paw, Eldine reaches Corvair. It's a little farming thorpe. It's 75. And this is another... Okay, there are four unique races to Eberron. We will go through them as time goes on. Shifters. Now, in Pathfinder, they've rebranded them to Skinwalkers. It's in one of the bestiaries. Same thing. Josie, this is who I made in... Okay, in my Bureau 13 campaign that I'm running Friday nights, Director Gordon. He's a Skinwalker. So, and I'm playing... I'm well, playing. I figured... I figured that was what you were getting at with, yeah. the, with that... Yeah, I'm just bringing context to it. That's all. And to rest, of, and to rest of Trev's players, spoilers. Oh no, they they, <laughs> they 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 know. They just don't use the knowledge in character. But I've I've let them know. I mean, I my gamers are that about that. Yeah. Well, Any, most anyway. of us have been good about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think people that do that sort of thing need to be. Yeah, they, they, they tend to ruin the game if they can't separate player from character knowledge, and that's something we do wear in this, and we try to get people up to speed, Not try not to do that. Anyways. They, they, they need to yes, be. Yes, yes, thank, yes, thank um, you. These shifters, or skinwalkers, it's a small farming village. Now, usually shifters are more hunters, but ancestors of the current leader of this little Thorpe said, why don't we settle down, you know, farm a little, and yeah, we'll still hunt in the forest, which is known as Haven Glen, but they're into agriculture, and so they've managed to set up a nice little village for themselves. Uh, shifters are generally, well, they have some lycanthropic blood, and there's like five or six types of shifters where tiger, you know, werewolf, werebear, you know, they vary, and you can look in the Eberron campaign setting book. They've also made two books for fourth edition. If you're playing fourth edition, want to do this? I think they shortened it down to two, right? Uh, two shifter breeds, but in Eberron, the third, the three point five, they did like six of them. And the werewolf esque shifters, they're like pack animals. They don't have. I mean, shifters will bond together as children, and you'll have like the eight or nine kids that you play with. You have a stronger bond with them than you do your own parents because shifter they are that pack animal. Yeah, they'll still listen to their parents, but they'll always spend time with the eight or nine kids, and they'll play games which involve skill and stealth. And there's sort of a capture the flag game that shifters play. And if you come through the warp, you might see this. 
and the name escapes me. But, anyways, it, it's kind of like Capture the Flag, and there's all sorts of natural obstacles like fallen logs and creeks and all this. And basically, you have an idol in your holding area. You have to somehow get the other person's idol and have both idols in your safe zone. That's the game, and this is what shifters learn. Now, if you're a human or a non, you know any non-shifter, and you are involved in this game, you are considered quite honored because you are allowed to play something only that shifters do. So, Wolf's Paw, you might see this course, and, you know, the eye that people will look and go, it looks like an obstacle course. And they'll tell you that there is this game, and I just... Hrazak! That's it. H-R-A-Z-H-A-K. Resembles Capture the Flag, taken to a shifter-style extreme. Two teams of six, each team possess a wooden idol, on the, which the opposite team will attempt to steal in place next to their idol, which must be in their goal area. Physical contact in the game is expected... It's played on an obstacle course with features difficult terrain such as streams and fallen logs. Yeah, if a non-shifter is invited to play, it's considered a great honor and recognition of the non-shifter's skills. So yeah, Wolf's Paw, they would be playing this constantly. You would see the permanent field set up like just outside the village. Four, Polar Cap, Ever Ice, Zendrick, Dower and Shield. Arctic Plateau, Ice Field, and you're gonna, it's your typical Arctic terrain. You're gonna have your Remorazes, your Frost Giants, Ice Trolls. And the warp emerges in an ancient watchtower in a mountain glacier. Now, in Secrets of Zendrick, which is the book centering on that southern continent, there are like nine or ten different areas that have maps and small legends about what is each of the map. The mountain glacier map, and the page number escapes me, would be where this warp appears. Or it could even be a portal since it's in this old watchtower. It's been abandoned for centuries, and all of a sudden you're inside, and it's this small... You can't really tell what race made it, but it is human-sized. And you come out, and you would be in this glacier. And it would be straight-up Arctic weather. And in D&D, the monsters I named are the one types that you're going to run across. So Frost Giants, the Big White Worms, the Bramorazes, Ice Trolls, which I think they have those in Pathfinder... So yeah, that one, Zendrick, is the, the continent that has all the various wonkiness to it, and I'll explain that in a little bit. So it's in the tower, which means the tower is that the room you're in is at least 25 feet by 25 feet by oh, 20 yeah. feet. Yeah, oh yeah. So uh, is it conveniently, is the portal conveniently aimed at the entrance, or is it sort of like oblique to it? Uh, the... The portal you can set up like toward the back of the tower, so you come out and you have room, and then the door leading out is out front. Okay, but yeah. is the door enough for a uh, a Humvee or a um, uh, uh, um, other vehicle? Probably not. No, probably not. So you have to park there and walk out, and then just you know back back out when you're done. From what I remember, the map no, it didn't look like you could fit. Like or. An SUV. If you have the demolitions person, you can make it bigger and You make it bigger, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With what Eric the Enabler called it, a couple sticks of make it go away. Yeah. No, 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 no. You, you, well, no, if you're in a mountain so, glacier in a watchtower, you really don't want tons of ice falling on you. That's a good way to really end your adventure quick. You know, yeah, that's when you have your, that's when you hope the guy's got good demo skills so he can actually has just enough to crack the walls and you can then knock out with sledgehammers afterwards. Yeah. All right. Number five, Great City State. Now, here we go. John mentioned this earlier. I put it in the Cogs, Sharn, in Corvair. Kyber's Gate under Sharn. Now, Sharn is that city with the floating towers. It is called Sharn, the City of Towers. There is even a separate book that they wrote specifically detailing this city. And I recommend finding this book because it has wonderful a CD of wonderful music by... Uh, David S. Davison. What continent is it on? This is on Corvair. This would be, it's in the nation of Breland. Uh, Sharn oh. is a metropolis of about 212,000 people, which in D&D would make it definitely a metropolis. And I put this in the Cogs, which is the underworkings, the dirty underground market and where all the dregs live. But if you go up, the higher you go up in Sharn, the more wealthy and prestigious you are. So all the the dregs and the criminals are down here. But Sharn is big. Yes, it is a city of the nation of Breland. But with how powerful Sharn is, it might as well be a city-state. It's still 
answers to the crown of Breland, but Sharn has enough commerce and influence and wealth because you know it's a, a starting point to Zendrick that I consider that the great city state. And I put the let's see underground tenements, sneaky goblins, drunk ogres, and cults abound. Passages do lead up to Sharn, the city of towers, Oladra's kitchen, the tavern district. So yeah, Sharn would be the place, if you come through and see this, yeah, you'll be looking around and just seeing all sorts of shady riffraff, and you always gotta wonder, it's gonna be that place where I always wonder, you know, when the knife is going to go into your ribs, not if. But walking around, you will hopefully find your way out and end up being in just this wondrous city with sky skiffs floating by and 100-foot castle towers with just floating in midair and walkways everywhere and pegasi races around the towers and just from how they wrote it sharn is just a beautiful city you could run an entire campaign just in sharn yeah it goes without saying higher is better in sharn oh yes yes the skyway the skyway is the upper city where thing and the only way you get the skyway is through if you can fly Yes. Well, as I said, the uh, Sharn sits on a manifest zone, which makes flying and levitation spells and effects, uh, was it, extended and empowered, I believe. So they last a lot longer, and you could just make something permanently float. That's why you have a lot of floating buildings. I mean, you have massively high towers, and then attached, like, off to the side, you would have another tower, which goes maybe another ten stories. It's because of the manifest zone there in Sharn. Um, number six, Burned Forest. I put this outside the Ring of Storms in Zendrick. Now, Eberron is a world with a ring, like Saturn. It's called the Ring of Cybrus. The Ring of Cybrus is filled with geodes known as Dragon Shards. Now, Dragon Shards are important because they are used for artificing. The Ring of Storms is where one massive Dragon Shard fell, and it just it, it, it hit like a meteorite. Now, when a meteorite hits... There is a D20 book called When the Sky Falls, written by Bruce Cordell. Monty Cook's Malhavik Press put it out. And there was just massive destruction. Massive crater, scorched earth. You'd see, like, charred stumps everywhere. There would be an exposed portal there, because let's face it, if a meteorite hits and a portal's buried, it'll unbury that portal and the portal will still be there. Remember, Termillon built things to last. Now, the thing about the burned forest and the polar cap, remember, there was a massive magical war 20,000 years ago in Zendrick. The giants were fighting a rate. They were fighting the Dol Core, I believe, and the giants used draconic magic. And they must have misplaced a decimal point somewhere because Zendrick is now a shattered continent. You have something on Zendrick known as the Traveler's Curse. You could have two parties starting from the city of Stormreach, which is like the major setting off point for expeditions going into the interior of Zendrick. Two parties leaving at the same time. One will get there in a week, another will get there in three weeks, but it'll still feel like a week's travel. Time and space are really altered in the Traveler's Curse, and basically it's a good GM tool to mess with your players going, okay, it took us a month to get there and we got back in five minutes. What? So those two portals, four and six, the Polar Cap and the Burn Forest, you're going to be dealing with the Traveler's Curse. And it's going to really throw off your eye debt because they're going to be going, okay, it took us three weeks to get there. We went back to the portal. It's a week later. And you might have a physicist on your team going, okay, there's something definitely wrong with time and space here. And it's because the epic level draconic magic that the giants were throwing around really, it, there's a term I want to use, has to do with the pooch. It really messed things up temporally and spatially and even dimensionally on Zendrick. There are still manifest zones there, but yeah, things really got jacked out of shape, and there's just no, nobody knows exactly what happened because it was 20,000 years ago, so there's no real way to fix it. Yeah, I'm reading the uh, write-up on Traveler's Curse in the Eberron wiki, Yeah, uh, and it's mentioning that on the positive side, that sometimes the curse will cause a person to arrive where they need to, need to be earlier than anticipated. Or even better, the curse can cause a treasure seeker to fight an unexplored ruin. Uh, it makes me wonder, is that ruin... Are you gone through like a little time, little time warp, and now you found a ruin that's actually of a place of a of a current village, and now it's a ruin because you've gone into the future. That is some. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, time and space is jacked up on Zendrick, and it's the entire continent. There's no. no you're you're not no. safe. No. 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 <laughs> well, no. no. Josie knows what I do with time already in my games. No, yeah. we know what you do with time and space and decimal points. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, you explore the no, ruin and, just, and no. 
And okay. there's that bit of graffiti you put on the wall not a week ago. Yet this thing is a thousand years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. You you could be. I, I as I said, I really wanted to deal with the the Traveler's Curse in the Eberron campaign, the Space Chase campaign. It was like Eberron meets Farscape, basically. I had a bunch of other characters from other D and D worlds kidnapped, and the Readrins were going to bring them back and use them as slave labor, but they took over the ship. My NPC was the one guy who released him. He was a Readrin officer who you know saw the light, and yeah, the Traveler's Curse. I would have had so much fun with it. And just they're my players. I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So the guy who released them, his name his name wasn't Bug, was it? Well, I I <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 kidding. I'm just referring to the fact that's almost the scenario on the Ashani New. Yeah. Well, um, there was a, a multi-armed race that was bonded with the ship. That was, as I said, I I beat people over the head with Farscape tropes. Matter of fact. One of the players, I lent her my Farscape videos to watch to get up to speed. So, yeah, um, the Traveler's Curse, if you go through Portal 4-6, you're going to come across it. And it, it's GM licensed to mess with the party. Uh, number seven, Polar Mountains. Uh, the Eska Mountains outside Tanis Hold in the Tashana Tundra in Riedra on Sarlona. Uh, near a Dwarven Stronghold, will be held prisoner while interrogated about possible intentions. Now, these dwarves have been persecuted by the Readrins. Again, these are these psionic, dream-manipulating bad guys. Of, and of course, they, they, they're the charming bad guys. They don't try to be overtly evil. You're all supposed to be acting for the greater good of Readra. I believe the Dreaming Path is the name of their religion-slash-philosophy. But these dwarves have been persecuted. So, yeah, especially if you're a human, they're going to imprison you and they're going to, you know, put you all in the separate rooms and they're going to sit there and question you on when they realize, oh, they came through, you know, a manifest zone, most likely. Because that's the way most people on Eberron are going to see these warps. Oh, you came from a manifest zone. You came from, uh, I think Rylania is one of the worlds or, or one of the planes. They'll just chalk it up to that until you go into the full explanation of, what a fringe portal is in fringe space. Now, number eight, Seacoast. Totem Beach Portal Argonessa. Dragonhead statues line the beach. Human barbarians guard the sacred land. The warp is between two 12-foot-high totem poles, each covered with draconic bases. This is that continent again where dragons run the whole show. The only humans that are allowed on Argonessa are the ones that worship them directly on a small island called Seren. S-E-R-E-N. They're barbarians. They, they're PL1, maybe PL2. And they this this is sacred land. You're coming through through these two. And Totem Beach is mapped out in, I believe, Dragons of Eberron. And they do the four chapters of Argonus and Corvair, Sarlona, and Zendrick. It was the perfect place to put the portal. Now, one of the things that has to do with this beach is that there is a fear effect within 180 feet radius of these poles. So as soon as you come through these poles, it's like the draconic frightful presence rules. So if you are above four hit dice, you're shaken. If below four hit dice, you're frightened. And it's equivalent to a 20 hit dice dragon. So that's at least an adult, if not higher. Maybe ancient. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of eye-dead people shaking in their boots when they come through that eighth portal. Just because a 20 hit dice dragon, yeah. You better have a very good will save. So that's how I placed out the portals. Now, as I said... Eberron is a world infused with magic. It gets into their genetics, the dragon mark, dragon marked houses. Each of the seven races have various dragon marks. Not everybody in, but there are a select few that they're born and they got this little bluish green sort of tattoo type thing on them called a dragon mark. The more powerful it gets, the more it covers you until... You might have your entire upper half of your body covered with this dragon mark. Now, one of the things with magic is that I said that this world was um, post-World War I-esque. The technology is techno-magic. Otherwise, they're PL3. Renaissance-level technology, but with the beginning techno-magic they have, it kicks them well up into PL4. And I had John research one of the houses that they specialize in artificing. John, house, that house... House Kenneth. Oh, Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Trav, uh, yeah. when I look at the electric train, that's not PL4, that's PL5. That's more or less a maglev. The electric, the electric, uh, the, 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 the lightning train. Yeah, I, I would give it that. I mean, I just said PL4 because it was a train. But technically, yeah. 
But also, that's made by another house. But anyways, house can't. Well, no. Uh, well, the house is run by another house. Everything's probably manufactured by Kenneth. Yeah, yeah. Much like, much like the airships are also run by House Lyander. Lyander, yeah. Lyander, but they're probably manufactured by, you know. Now they're probably getting help from uh, what was the other house? Uh, house Civis, because Zilargo, the nation of gnomes, yes. And they're probably when the one that deals with elementals. Uh, I think that's Lyrandar. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's twelve or thirteen. Yeah, there's uh, thirteen dragon houses. I asked John because he's our tech guy about House Kenneth and how they. Well, there's 12 active houses. There's yeah. one that's not active. And there's one that split into two separate houses. So, And then, well, there's actually another house, House Tarkanen, which are people who, well, when two dragon marks of, of different types get together and have little kids, they <laughs> will a have... a dragon mark and a daddy dragon mark <laughs> love each other very much. When, I, when a mark of making has has kids with a mark of passage, they'll have an aberrant dragon mark. <laughs> the aberrant dragon marks. There was a war fought over these. These are mm-hmm. basically the pure dragon marked houses. See the aberrant dragon marks as massive no no. Yeah, and they have. I'm I'm trying to hardly manifest because the it's like they a get power kick in during puberty or maybe younger. Just stress will bring it out. And all of a sudden, you have this mark on your chest, and hi, you just elevated up in the house. And of course, you could have illegitimate, you know, mm. a, a, someone from House Kenneth could have had a lover, and the lover was sent away, and she pops out this kid, and all of a sudden, this kid's got a House Kenneth mark. Um, but, but I'm not sure what kind of independent. What, I'm not quite sure what kind of powers they grant, whether it's a melding of the two houses or. Oh, no, no. Aberrant Dragon Marks have what would be considered evil powers, like. Uh, you know, you could incite disease or fear, or that's one of the reasons why there was the War of the Mark mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's like, no, 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 we don't want these, and you're you're muddying the bloodlines. Stop it. Well, from the sounds of it, though, um, you become part of House Kenneth if you develop a, the Mark of Making. Yeah. So you may you may not even be related to anyone there. But if you show the mark, one of the marks are making, you're House Kenneth. Oh no! If you if you <laughs> have the house the house the 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 mark of making, you've got somebody of Kenneth blood in your past. As I said, there's a lot yeah. of illegitimate um, <clears throat> dalliances going on in this world. So yes, yeah, yes. you might find out you might have a uh, House Thrash, now, the Rash, which means you might have a human or a half orc in your bloodline. Anyway, no, to explain to people what the marks, these are all called under the name of dragon marks. Yeah, it's a genetic the, mutation permeated due to the magic of this world. Yeah, and each mark, they come in, they come in three versions, four versions. Though you're only going to run into the three, the three primary versions. The last version, which which Travis alluded to, uh, is much more rare. The three versions are least, lesser, and greater. Yes. they basically grant you abilities. Uh, like let's say for the house for the marker making, if you have a lease mark, you can you get the ability to make whole or repair light damage once a day. You can do these are spells. You can do mending twice a day, or you get plus two on craft checks. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh Lesser- yeah, the, yeah. They really these dragon marked houses. Yep. I t- when I talked to Keith Baker, he said, "Yeah, these could be considered mega corporations or zaibatsu." So. The last mark, so you have least, lesser, and greater. The other mark is Cy- the mark of Siberius. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Siberius? Siberius, Siberius, yeah. Yeah. One half a dozen of another. So for, people, for, so for folks who have the mark of making, if you have the mark of Siberius, which pretty much covers your body, yeah. you know, uh, you get true creation once a day. That is, you can, you know, if you know how to make it, you can create it. Now, John and I looked up this spell earlier. It is uh-huh. and the Pathfinder SRD and the D twenty and the D twenty SRD. Both of them had the same wording. Yeah, it's but it's an eighth level spell of the Artifice Domain, which means it's a cleric only spell. But got the mark the Marcus Sybaris for Kenneth. You can do this spell. Now it takes ten minutes to do, and you need. Five times the material, commo- the cost. So if something takes a thousand gold pieces to make, you need five thousand gold pieces in material components. But if you and get them together, you make a craft check, you activate your dragon mark. 
Well, you make a craft check if you need to make a craft check. Right. Yeah. It depends on if how I'm if I if I'm if I'm making a, a big lump of coal, I don't need a craft check for that. Right. But if you're making a clockwork device, yeah, you gotta know how to make it. Yes. You gotta know how it works because we brought up the fact that oh, if I have true creation and if it didn't require you to know how to make it work. Oh, look, a dock box. For those you're not familiar, dock boxes are the wonder machines developed by the Commonwealth and the Termellon that, well, cures what ails you. Yeah, it's basically the a, a Termellon med kit and just, yeah. Well, the, um, the Termellon version is biological, so you couldn't make that, but you could make the Commonwealth one if you knew how it worked. Right, that's the kicker is that because the com- even the Commonwealth is considered god tech. But Let me ask you this, though. The thing is, with House Caneth, besides mm-hmm. being magical artificers, they're also just mechanically inclined. Even if you don't have the mark and making, you could still be a tinkerer. You could still be some type of, you know, mm-hmm. craftsman. You yep. still need mundane stuff made. Everything from wagon wheels to pickaxes to oh, swords yeah. and shields. Oh, yeah. And I mean, so, Caneth, yeah, they build everything. And they're mostly human. From right, right oh, no, they're all human. There are no not I thought th- I thought there were some elves that actually no, had... No, 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 no. Was that a different one? Oh, that was a different one. That was a different mark. That was a different mark. That was the split house. That was the uh, mark of shadow. You're right. Yeah. Okay, but, but the mark... Anyways, I, I had John take on the tech mm-hmm. role because Kenneth is so intrinsic to the technology of... Yeah. All of the dragon houses are based in Corvair. Yeah. Now, there are some embassies over in Riedra... And, well, I guess you could call them embassies in Stormreach down in Zendrick, in, in the city of Stormreach, which, yeah, it's sort of a pirate, roughneck kind of town built on one of the giant civilization's ancient ports. But, and, but from they, reading they on still, Yeah, they still have just this massive amount of pull in anything. Oh, what is it? The Tinkerer's well, Guild and the Fabricator's Guild are the two guilds that House Caneth won. Not as much as they used to have. They used yeah. to be much bigger. They used to be basically, uh, you need weapons? Here you go. Oh, we just created something called the Warforged. The Warforged were, were constructs that basically were soldiers and could use various things to fight with. And basically they sold everybody. And it wasn't, I think was it wasn't until... Uh, let me read the history here. We go history. It wasn't until the the last great war they had. Well, yeah, uh, which is, was just a couple years ago. The Treaty of Thronehold not only set free all the Warforged, but also banned Caneth from creating any more. However, reading some things such as Hastus to Caneth, he's still making Warforge, but that's okay. He's dead. Oh no, he, he's Merrick's, a forge. He, he's a forge to Caneth. Oh no, no. No, Hastus. Hastus to Kenneth. No, um, Merrick's to Kenneth is in Sharn, and he's got a massive creation forge. No, no, he he's making Psy Forge. Oh, no, I thought he was making straight-up Warforge down there no, in, no, the, no. in the cop. Hastus to Kenneth was once an amateur ne- necromancer and overseer of the House Kenneth facility before his death at the hand of the Caranthi raiding party. He has returned from the dead as a forge wraith, and he still continuing what he used to do, which was make war forge pr- prototypes. Okay, so you're reading this <laughs> off the Eberron wiki. This might have been something that came up in fourth edition, then. Yeah. Okay, that's why I I don't I but don't yeah, play Mer- fourth edition. So yeah, this is news to me. Yeah, Merrick the Kenneth the Younger uh, is once is researching Cyforge. Uh, let me just look up Cyforge. Yeah, with. they okay. Then they changed that for fourth edition because he was just yeah. making Warforge. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, it, it's basically even worse than a Warforge. Oh no, Cyforge actually. Ooh, Cyforge. Uh, Josie, the Forgeborn from the Sunday game. That's basically what the Cyforge are. Part humanoid, part crystal constructs so they so so you can't mind control them but they are sentient living construct or half construct would be the type oh no wonder i'm getting a headache from from those things yeah but basically i I recognized what you were talking about yes yeah but but um, like like most constructs you can't mind control them because they technically aren't they don't have minds you can control they are constructs but here's the thing the warforged have souls they are sentient beings 
Ah, that changes. But, it, but reading the trade on though, Warforged are considered constructs. So therefore, they get all the benefits of a construct. But you can resurrect a Warforged. That's the thing. Again, unless they change mm-hmm. it in fourth edition. Yeah, I'm looking at the. Uh, I'm looking at your uh, the Pathfinder version. They're uh, construction metabolism, construct mine. Okay, they can resist, so you still can mind control them. Yeah, you can. Yeah, they. they their think... minds as if it's a human. It's just that they are inorganic yeah. made beings. The creation forges. Now, mm. Remember, they were making mindless constructs, and then all of a sudden, as they were, as Kenneth was cranking them out during the last war, which Bruce will talk about later, we'll get to that. Yeah. All of a sudden, they started developing sentience, and that's when. Okay, no, we're they, still making them as soldiers. I was reading about that. They were granted sentience by one of the house Kenneth. Oh, okay. So, someone decided, someone took 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 pity on them and gave them and gave them and gave them, and gave them um well gave them sentience. Yeah. <sighs> Fools them. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, anyway, looking at How them, they work are. Out for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But from looks at they produce, they are, they produce not only just magical things, they also produce mundane things. Yes. You know, you can, you know, some of the best, I would say some of the best porcelain uh, dishware comes out of, can- comes out of House Kenneth. Some, oh, yeah. yeah, some of the, basically, I would say they master forges about everything they produce. Yes, House Kenneth, as I said, they have the two guilds. I believe it's the Tinkerer's Guild and the Fabricator's Guild. If you yep. need yep. anything built from a castle to a knife to a mm-hmm. fork, you yep. get House Kenneth and masterwork, you would even their non masterwork stuff still looks good. Yeah. So yeah, so they're the ones behind the especially with uh, for vehicles. Excuse me. Uh, lightning rail? The Elemental Galleon, yep. The Elemental Landcart, the Elemental Airship, the Floating Towers of Sharon. So the ones that are flying are more there working on else's. The and the Everbright Lantern, of course, the Warforge. Um, so the Galleon is a is a seagoing vessel with a bound water, water elemental. elemental. Again, wa- uh, elemental binding is due to dragon shards. Yeah, Kyber. Which are basically fact, geodes. Kyber, in fact, Kyber. Yes. Spelt, spelt with the H, like Kyber Pass. Not yes. to be confused with the other Kyber crystals, which are still also very neat and powerful. They power oh, Death Star Wars, Stars. Yeah. yeah, they power Death Stars. Uh, but yeah, so uh, the land cart uses a land uses a uh, earth elemental. The elemental airship uses an a air elemental, and oh, no, the light. Uh, uh, John, I've seen the airships also use fire elementals. Because they got the, there are some airships that have a, like a ring of fire around them. Yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking that I, I think the airships well, I'm bringing use fire, up. not air, or they might have two types. They might have two types. It doesn't actually. I'm looking at the write up on the elemental airships in the Eberron wiki, and doesn't really say. Uh, if I go over to the the other wiki, the Pathfinder Eberron wiki. Yeah, not much art on the Eberron Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, airships, wondrous vehicles. There we go. Wondrous vehicles, the airship. Yeah, I got the picture. Um, page 125, the Eberron oh, campaign setting, the House Lyrander airship. That's a ring of fire. It's either a huge fire or a huge air element, elemental. So it's one or the other. 10 to 12 hit dice. But yeah, they're bound. Uh, the, of course, the binding has to be done through uh, House Lyrander, Ly- 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 I believe. Yeah. Lyrander, yeah. yeah. Lyrander was probably doing the binding, but the, everything else is pretty much constructed by House Kenneth. And I would say, except for the binding in the in the Kyber crystal, they're mundane vessels. Yeah, except for that elemental binding, which gives them the extra mobility. Yeah, a, a shipwright can make that boat. Now, the 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 most the one that probably takes the most work is the lightning train. Well, yeah, because you need to have stones that are set like five feet apart. And no, fifty feet apart. Fifty feet apart. I read. Okay, I read yeah. yeah, fifty feet apart, and they're using. Well, they're using a a um a, a fire elemental or a lightning elemental. Light, uh, what does it use for the elemental? It uses a air elemental for the for the engine, and it uses air and the conductor and uses conductor stones. Conductor stones use air, air elementals, but bound air elemental. Yep, because air elementals can do storms, so that's where they get the electricity from. But it means you also need an air elemental on each and every car. 
Yeah, um, what it is, okay, individually they do, do nothing other than glow with the same intensity as a sunrod, but when two or more are placed close together, a repulsion force can be felt that is so strong that no amount of force can get two conductor stones closer than six inches apart. In production, they're usually placed 50 feet apart along a route that is a lightning rail engine that a lightning rail engine is supposed to take. A lightning yeah. rail can withstand one missing conductor stone moving at half speed, but two or more consecutive it will cause a probable, possible crash. Now, the vehicle itself is 120 feet long by 35 feet wide. Now, I just rode a train this weekend, and the trains are about 10 feet wide. This thing is three over three times, three and a half times the width. Yeah, the width of a normal train. Well, remember, with tech, you, as you get <laughs> mm -hmm. better, you're going to get miniaturization. Remember, this is the first thing that they made. This is a yeah. The lightning rail was a, was a major invention for Eberron. Mm -hmm. It spanned Corvair. Oh, it's it's not cheap. I mean, basically, it's fifty eight thousand gold pieces for the for the vehicle. Yeah. For the entire train, uh, I would say, and each and each sun and each conductor stone runs about price five hundred gold pieces. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and so if you think about it, if you get and the right and the lines, so I go back to the other one because I think they actually had the light, the the, the various lines or were oh no they were over here. Anyway, but the various lines run across continents, so you're you're looking at major financial investments. We're talking in the millions the dragon houses could do. Because yeah, so they had the wealth, they had the pull, they had the moxie mm -hmm. to be able to pull these things off. Something in the million, if not finger up, billions, billions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, of 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 gold pieces to to man to put in. Basically, there you know, pry up one sun, pry up one conductor conductor stone, you you're you're set for life until someone finds you and kills you. Uh, but yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you, but yeah, um, it's it's amazing what they can build and. Yeah, they are the major manufacturers, and with that, if they're, I imagine there's like a handful of Cyberus individuals in in, the, in every house. Not very many. It's very not rare. Not many. No, the mark of Cyberus is very rare, but it also consolidates you at the height of power in your house. Yeah, so it makes me wonder if they. You know, we always talk toward the end. What can you know, what can what can this place do for do do for Unita and other other worlds of the Commonwealth? Well, you got people here who can just make anything if they understand how it works. Education and how to make various devices, machines. Yeah. Oh, oh God! If you give a house Kenneth knowledge of electronics and and all of that. Oh no. Boost Eberron about a hundred years, and it would be a techno magic version of today. Now, here's a question with true creation. Because I don't, I should have asked this earlier. Um, so when it, when it says one item, it means like one item, like one assault rifle, not a case of six assault rifles. Well, I think it case. said ten pound. Well, let's. I just happen to have that tab up. One cubic foot per level. But are we talking one item, or are we talking a, co a collection the of items? The volume of the item created cannot exceed one cubic foot per caster level. So and we are talking a single item there. Well, considering that, let's see, it is an eighth level artifice spell, which means as a cleric, minimum, you have to be 15th level. Oh, wow, 15 cubic feet. Yes. Of course, this gives you, if you, if you because you can get, you can become Sybaris at level two. No, and so, there is an Arab Sybaris uh, prestige class, which allows you to use the mark better. So it makes you, so, but I think the way True Creation is written is written so that you are making one item. So you can't turn around and say, "I'm making a case of ammunition." No, you're not. No. You're making one bullet. Well, that's why with True Creation, <laughs> if you're doing this, it's the go big or go home. You're going yeah. to make something massive with this. This is yeah. not it, True Creation is not something you make a trifle with. No, no. You're going for the. You're not going for the M16. You're going for the howitzer. So here's the question. It says non-living matter. So a tremendous stake would that be considered non-living matter? A tremendous what? Steak, beef steak. You know, you know, 15 feet long. I don't think food is part of it. That would be create food and water. You would do that. But it's not living anymore. It's dead. It's been cooked. Why would I use a 15th level cleric <laughs> to get me a steak? <laughs> get you a 15 foot by one foot long or whatever, you know, 15 cubic feet of steak. That would cook up a lot of Brazilian beef. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> All right. There's something I want to, and there, I have a seg here. I have a seg here with this because we mentioned the lightning rail spanning the continents. 
or it once did. There was something that happened within the past century on this world that kind of really changed how Corvair exists now. And I left that to Bruce to research because it is something intrinsic to the history of this setting if you are playing. And you can even play during this time because they put out a book called The Forge of War. But Bruce, what was that one major event on Corvair which pretty much altered the continent forever? You must be referring to the last war. Yes, sir, I am. So this was a a conflict that occurred um, as far as the technological timeline somewhere between like after like the First World War uh, before the Second World War. As far as... Um, um, actually, I kind of, and I, when I talked to Keith Baker, the last war was, would be considered World War One. Right. Okay. So the point here is, is that, uh, so there's a conflict between the major countries uh, of uh, Adar, Breland, uh, Sire, Thane, and Karnith. Um, and the reason that it happened was because at some time in the past, there had been, um, uh, well, the, the uh, Galifar, the King Galifar was able to unite all these countries into one super state, but then it all fell apart. And so there were some people that always wanted to try to bring it all back together again. And so the last war was their last attempt at doing this. And it caused a great deal of, of, of destruction and uh, a lot of changes to the, the place. So yeah, what, there, were, there were five kids. Uh, King Gerat had five kids. Each one ruled a country. And, of course, Daddy dies who gets to run things. Right. And some people, yeah. di- and, and, and some people died because of that. So, anyways, uh, so other than the, uh, what in particular about the war do you want to know about? Well, because, and this is segueing from what John was talking about with the lightning rails, at one time they spanned continents. Many of those lightning rail lines went through a particular nation known as Sire, or Sire. We're still wonky on the pronunciation. Well, Sire is... Pretty much of the what's considered the most devastation laid area of the war is where most of the war took place, and they even had uh, an occurrence that was called uh, the the devastation because uh, uh, the morning, the morning because essentially every, almost everybody died in one day in this humongous battle, uh, and as a result. Uh, the country is 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 a wasteland, pretty much. Uh, it's filled with refugees uh, from other countries. It has no uh, exports. It has no economy. It's just gone. And everybody else just kind of, and everybody just kind of just stays. Oh, we're just going to stay away from that because it's pretty much a cursed land as far as everyone else is concerned. Yeah, from I I read uh, Keith Baker did a trilogy. I think it was called The Dreaming Dark, and a lot of refugees were coming out of Seer with best way to describe it would be magical mutations. Like, yeah, here comes this old lady, and her mouth has now become a metal jaw, and we have to cast, we have to give her a ring of sustenance, or otherwise she'll die because she can't eat. And oh look, this this young boy's arm is now stone. The morning just something happened, and it's funny because the devastation and the fog and the magical healing only working at half power contours exactly to the borders of the former nation of Sire, right, right. along the rivers, and it's just nobody can explain it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And 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 they they and the place even a hundred years later. Okay, the the uh, the settlements are are all but raised. The cities are 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 just empty. I mean, they're empty of, of commerce. They still they're filled with homeless, destitute, hopeless people. I mean, it's really the place you want to go if you want to just be really depressed and and have. If you have no place else to go, they will welcome you in to, to basically share in their suffering and for you to bring your suffering with them, which I thought would be a really great place for the Fringeworthy to be because it would be a place where they would hear stories of all the other surrounding countries because these are people who fled all of them. There is a reason why I looked and I said, no, Seer, we're not. Bruce, did you read up anything about a being calling itself the Lord of Blades? 
No, I did not. Okay. The Lord of Blades, how to describe him? He is Warforged. And remember, there's male... They don't have... Because they're they're gender neutral in form. They have personalities, however, which pattern toward male... or So it is a male personality Warforged. He's sort of become a messianic figure. And with Eberron, belief is enough to give you clerical power. So you could be a cleric of the Lord of Blades. Anyways, because repair spells work just fine. Healing spells are at half power. And there aren't very many human left in the Mornland, as it's called now. The Lord of Blades has sort of set up his own, I guess, dictatorship in the Mornland. So, Warforged who are displaced and they don't feel like they have a place of their own have gone into the Mornland to hook up with the Lord of Blades and say, I will work with you. This is Bruce Sheffer saying, there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier Podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.